Good evening, Mississippi. This is Chris Hinkle, not Kim Wade. Uh, Kim has taken a much-needed respite from today's airwaves and has given me the opportunity to sit in for him today. I wish I could bring you some better news, but uh, we lost a a police officer here recently, uh, Madison police officer and former Ridgeland police chief Randy Tyler. Uh, lost his life in an adversarial action here recently and they're having the visitation service today it's a private visitation service uh, over in the Ridgeland area of Mississippi if you want to pay the pay your respects to Randy and I highly encourage you do so you can do that tomorrow his uh, funeral uh, procession is going to begin at Parkway Pentecostal Church there on the corner of Bozeman Road and Reunion Parkway at about 2 p.m. And if you would like to get out there shortly before 3 p.m., you can line the streets with a flag, sign, uh, just to pay your respects to to Chief Tyler. He was a great man, a great law enforcement officer, a great father and husband. Uh, We're going to miss him, and the way to honor him is to uh, carry out our life here today in respect for our brothers in blue. All right, as I said, I'm uh, Chris Hinkle. Those of you who have heard me on this airwaves before know that I am a retired FBI agent currently living in Madison, Mississippi. Been here for about 17 years now. We really consider this our home. And we're going to dive right into it. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to talk a little bit about FBI. We're going to talk a little bit about some local things that are going on. And I'm going to give some tips and advice and points to ponder as we get later into the show. But I want to start this show off on a great note my good friend, Jim Galliano, affectionately known as Gags, is on the line. Now, Jim is a retired FBI supervisory special agent. He was also a member of the FBI hostage rescue team. Those, those guys are tough. They are basically the Navy SEALs of the FBI. As a matter of fact, uh, I believe the Navy SEALs actually come to train and learn from some of the FBI hostage rescue team members. He's an on-air contributor from multiple news outlets like Fox News, CBS, CNN. And he is currently the 29th mayor of the village of Cornwall in the Hudson of New York and a doctoral candidate in Homeland Security. I don't know when he has the time to do these things. Jim, welcome to the show. Glad to talk to you today. Christopher, always a good time talking to you, whether it's in our text group or talking to you on air. Truly appreciate what you're doing, brother, and, I, and I'm and I'm privileged and humbled to uh, to, to join you. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you bringing up the, our little text group of our uh, retired FBI agent Justice League that we have going on, where we're trying to uh, to, uh, to to help help the citizens out in our retirement. And that brings me to a recent article that you wrote for the New York Post. If I can uh, entertain the audience here just a little bit, if you'll go back to the New York Post for May 19th, 2023, you'll see an article that Jim penned called Farewell, FBI. The bureau I once knew is loved, uh, knew and loved is gone. Jim, what prompted you to write that article? Yeah, I think in, you know, Chris, one of the things, and I know you know this being in, in the media as you are, you know, writers write and editors write headlines. And uh, I know it seems that some people have said, boy, that's a little overly dramatic the way that headline reads. And I'm like, yeah, but I get it. And I understand why the editors of the New York Post read what I read and uh, what I'd written and said, yeah, this this fits it. Um, you know, the FBI has been around a long time. It's been around since uh, 1908. It started as a Bureau of Investigation, morphed into the Department of Investigation, 
And then when uh, when a young 29-year-old um, took it over in 1924, a guy by the name of Jedra Hoover, and it, and it morphed into what we know now as the modern FBI, um, it, um, it, it, it had a certain standard. And, and I think with as many problems and with as many missteps and miscues, no agency, no organization, no human being is infallible. They all make mistakes. And the FBI certainly, you know, across, you know, almost 120 years has certainly made some mistakes and some missteps. But it is a wonderful organization. I still believe, Chris, and I know you and I speak all the time. You do, too. It it still is the premier law enforcement agency in the world, not in the country, but in the world. What disappoints me, and I think what disappoints a lot of us who spent um, a lot of time cutting our teeth under senior agents um, and learning the lessons that basically were, look, once you come into the FBI, you lose your identity. You're not black. You're not white. You're not green. You're not male, female. You're not Republican or Democrat. You are a nameless, faceless federal agent in pursuit of the facts following the evidence bereft of fear or favor. And Chris, as you pointed out in my article, once I started outlining all the advocacy and activist groups that now the FBI encourages employees to become a part of, Chris, I hate to use a colloquialism like this, but I think the FBI has finally jumped the shark. Yeah, it's, uh, it is something that I observed. Uh, I've been retired uh, a little less than you have, so I've been gone for about four years, but I did see a dramatic shift uh, it, shortly before I retired. Uh, this phrase kept coming up of diversity is our strength, diversity is our strength. And I started seeing uh, a lot of what I would call not diverse, but segregation type things where people were praised, celebrated, based on immutable characteristics rather than the content of their character. And and that, I think, uh, has morphed into some of the individuals that that, uh, the FBI is recruiting today because of that emphasis rather than strict adherence to the law. You talked about where you think that that shift came about, and you mentioned something about Jim Comey sitting on a stool wearing a tie and a blue shirt and no jacket. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, um, look, you know, FBI agents come in all sizes, shapes, forms, you know, ideological underpinnings. Um, You know, we all root for different, you know, sports teams. We all worship in, in, in different churches or choose not to worship. We're all different. But what binds us together is fidelity, bravery, and integrity, the FBI motto. And I'll never forget one of the things when, you know, beginning in 2016 when the wheels fell off and and we began to learn that the FBI had viewed a particular presidential candidate as a direct threat to the republic, and instead of doing their job, staying between the white lines, treating everybody, friend, foe, you know, domestic, international, everybody the same. We followed the evidence bereft of fear or favor. Um, This was a different FBI. And and I went back, and in reading James Comey's book, and again, he just wants to, as he continues to tell people, fade into the woodwork, yet he continues to be out in, in the public giving his opinion on things. And he wrote a book entitled 
a higher loyalty in 2018. And in it, he discusses his first day at FBI headquarters. Now, Comey was only the FBI director for just shy of four years. But he, I don't want to say he brags, but he does embellish this story that he shows up the first day. He's not wearing a suit jacket. He's in a blue shirt with a tie on. And he said, people noticed it. And I was going to establish a new culture. Chris, I want the FBI to do the right thing. I don't care about culture. I don't care about individualism. And I know you feel the same way. We just want the Bureau to be this unimpeachable paragon of virtue. And, and again, it's a fallible institution. It's made mistakes. It's had, look, Robert Hansen just passed away. And we all know the dishonor, the discredit, and, and the lives that he imperiled. Um, but what he did to impugn the integrity of the uh, of the FBI. But when Comey did that, look, is anything wrong with wearing a blue shirt? No. I knew a lot of good agents that didn't dress the way that I did. But the bottom line is he made that about culture, and he wanted to change the culture. And I think what we're doing, Chris, is essentially throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You dislike some things about the FBI, how we handled FISA during the uh, Trump years. Let's go back and fix that. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And all of a sudden, anything culturally related, not to 2020 or 2022, is now seen as, you know, an anachronism. And I think that's where we've kind of gone off the rails. I, I agree. And from your article, you said assimilation is no longer the goal. It's now focusing on one's perceived identity that counts most. Uh, that's not why I came into the FBI. And getting to your point about uh, the suit, the the one thing that I tried to advocate to uh, imbue uh, to younger agents as they came in to pass along to them is is look the part. Yeah. You know, and, and we're not just some old farts out here trying to say, well, you know, back in my day or back in my day. Uh, what we're saying is the FBI's had this long history, and when you think of the G men. You think of the guy in the suit. I used to tell guys, hey, when they show up at the crime scene, at the bank robbery, and they're looking for who's in charge, they're looking for the guy in the suit. And I use yep. guy, you know, uh, along with, with uh, girls. Now, Jim, uh, something that you and I have, have come across uh, in some of our, let's say, uh, civil and cogent debates with some of our fellow retirees, some that I posit are – echo uh, uh, operate in an echo chamber they tend to have stayed in the dc area and they tend to uh basically just parrot the things that are said in dc we got called to task because we provided a constructive criticism of things that are going on in the fbi and and i'm not going to name the person they can go find out who it is but we had the one individual that he basically penned this long article saying that all of us old guys that still hold the Constitution dear, should basically just shut the F up. Yeah. Um, you know, this is America. And, uh, you know, we've been around for, for over two centuries. We're still a fledgling republic. We're still a, you know, democratic experiment. Um, when you think about the history of the world, the, the globe is, what, 4.5, you know, billion years old. I think civilization has only been around for you know, six or 7,000 years. I think mankind's been here for 200,000. And the fact that we're only just 
just over 200 years old. Um, we are a fledgling democracy, a fledgling republic, and it can be gone, as Ronald Reagan warned, in, in an instant, in a generation. And I think telling people to, you know, FTFU, as the acronym, acronym, uh, the acronym goes, um, is, is wrong. Um, I don't think that you or I or even the people that feel differently than we do in our different outlets, um, I don't think we do it to be gratuitous. Um, I certainly don't want to. I love the organization, as I know you do. We, 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 we bleed blue and gold. We, we sweated. We bled. We did all the things, and we love it, and we want it to remain um, what it is, what its charter was, which was to be the federal investigative arm of the executive branch to ensure that, I mean, thinking back to the, you know, the early 20th century, um, making sure that while we have 50 separate states, um, that the federal government had the ability to investigate violations of federal crimes across state borders. It's a wonderful organization. But if you're going to tell me or you or anybody else to shut up and don't say anything, pipe down, you've been gone too long, that, that, that's not what this country's about. I mean, that's not what, you know, um, you know, informed discourse is about or dissent. I mean, you disagree with us, happy to hear it, let's have the debate. But, you know, don't tell us to be quiet. That's just not going to sit well. And FBI agents are typically, you know, type A personality folks. Um, they're high energy folks and they have opinions. And look, while I was on the job for a quarter of a century, half of my life, because I left at the age of 50, um, I kept my mouth shut, as I know you did. And that was appropriate. But now that we're on the outside, I think our... Our voices lent to the conversation, Chris. I think that they that they are important, um, and I don't. You know, people can read them and, and hear about it, listen to it, and make their informed decisions on their own. But anybody that tells us that we're not allowed to speak out, they're 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 severely misguided. Hey, Jim, I tell you what, if, if you got a couple minutes that we could talk after this break, and I, I think you and I we, we texted about this earlier. You want to go ahead and try to fix the FBI during, after this break? <laughs> we got at least two or three minutes after. Absolutely. I think we can do it. I'll hang on for you, brother. All right. All right. We're going to take a break right now. We're calling. Uh, we're here at the Complete Exteriors Roofing and Gutters call line. Uh, when we have some breaks here after we get Jim off the line, if somebody wants to call in, you can reach us at 601-879-0002. This is Chris Hinkle in for Radio Strongman Kim Wade on WYAB. All right. Welcome back to WYAB and on the Complete Exteriors Roofing and Gutters call-in line. I have my buddy Jim Galliano, Gags as I know him. Uh, And we were talking a little bit about the FBI and the fact that while we were on the job, we didn't speak out as much. And a lot of that had to do with something that I'm betting a lot of the listeners don't understand, and that was the prohibitions of the Hatch Act. Uh, which is why you you don't hear a lot of people that work inside the FBI commenting on things. I know, heck, even around the the squad or in the gym, we still were kind of guarded a little bit on our political opinion, but uh, we're not encumbered by that once we get on the outside. So, so Jim, what do we got to do to fix this? What do we got to do to get this uh, get the reputation back so that uh, more than forty percent of the U.S. as you uh, posited in your article have a favorable opinion of the fbi 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a tough needle to thread, and uh, and and I think you nailed it, Chris. Twenty five years in the FBI, and unfortunately, I never had a chance to cross paths with you on the job. We were in different offices at different times, but you just described my experience as well. I could not have told you the political leanings or the political adherences of guys that I work with or gals that I work with. I just didn't know. It just it didn't come up at work. We talked I'm an Atlanta Braves fan of course, but in New York where I spent most of my career, we talked Mets and Yankees. We talked, you know, what was going on in the city. We talked about things, but it was never ever Democrat Republican. Um you ask me the question, you know, what needs to be done to fix the FBI? Everything comes back to leadership, right? Everything. And leadership um, creates culture. Um, you know, we, we've had eight Senate-confirmed FBI directors in the FBI's 115-year history. Eight. Think about it. Now, J. Edgar Hoover spanned 48 years, almost half a century. Um, you know, James Comey was the seventh, and the current director is Christopher Wray. I had high hopes for Christopher Wray when he was selected. He was the – he was the – you know, antithesis of James Comey. James Comey was a carnival barker, somebody I felt was narcissistic and, and wanted to be in front of the cameras. And that's not typically outside of Hoover, but that was a different era. The guy was born in 1895 and was trying to build the reputation of an agency. I'll afford him a little bit of deference. But James Comey was, you know, of the other seven, was the guy that wanted to be in front of the cameras Christopher Ray doesn't, but it's distressing when he shows up for a House or Senate hearing like he did last year, and he abruptly has to end it because he's going to go on a family vacation. Um, he doesn't stand tall, answer the questions, tell the senators and the congressmen, hey, whatever you're going to throw at me, I'm going to be here and I'm going to answer. I'm going to defend the men and the women of the FBI. I'm going to defend our mission, and I am here because transparency matters. So, Chris, when you say to me, sum it up in one word, what needs to change? It's leadership. And, yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, political appointee, it's going to require another president probably to make a decision, a decision to, to remove him or to replace him. It's not going to happen in the Biden administration because, you know, it's just not going to happen. But, yeah, I think that's what needs to happen because leadership creates culture, and the culture of the FBI has to change. Yeah, one of my concerns, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, is I, I was listening to uh, I listened to a number of podcasts. Uh, most of them tend to be of a conservative nature. I do listen to some more liberal ones. But one of the, one of the things that there's a podcaster out there and has a, a, a nationwide radio show, I was listening to him, and one of the concerns he had with the military was that, you know, everybody's got that kid, that hometown kid. And I know we know that here in Madison, Mississippi, that is the the kid that that knows how to go hunting, the kid that, you know, grew up, you know, skin and deer, the kid that's the star linebacker on the football team, very healthy individual, uh you know, great uh, patriot, somebody that really reveres the Constitution. When you start changing the character of the individuals that you're recruiting, uh, that guy, that linebacker, that's the one that you want out there fighting for your country. He's the one that knows how to survive off the land. 
So what happens is, I think, when you change this culture and you start focusing your efforts on recruiting just based on immutable characteristics rather than someone that can fill the role of protecting and defending the Constitution, that guy, you know, on a military side, he's just not going to join the military. So you won't know that, you know, your uh, your cadre of, of soldiers or, heck, your cadre of FBI agents, you're not going to get that same caliber and quality of individuals. And I, I saw that in part of my career with how we kept changing some of the standards, dropping some of the the weapons, heck, even the caliber of the ammunition we were dropping because some people were having difficulty shooting. Now, the majority of the of the FBI agents that I work with, true blue, 100% rock rib, constitutional uh, su- supporters and defenders, but we kept acquiescing to such a smaller group rather than trying to assimilate them into what we need. Uh, I, I think you did you not serve in the military? Yeah, I spent uh, four years as a as an army officer, West Point graduate, airborne ranger with the Tenth Mountain Division. And uh, Chris, interestingly enough, uh, I left in 1991 to join the FBI because there wasn't enough action. Wow. And then, sure enough, after I leave, of course, the first Gulf War happens. And then the funny thing is, you know, the furthest I deployed in my first in my four years in the U.S. Army as a as a commissioned officer um, was Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, for training. And then in the FBI, I get deployed to uh, to Afghanistan three separate times in 2002 and 2003. So funny the way things work out. But, man, just listening to what you just said, gosh, I think we could distill it down to a great Hank Williams Jr. song, A Country Boy Can Survive. I agree with you, man. I also agree with the notion that diversity makes us stronger. But when you dilute the standards, when you lower the bar so that Everybody can make it, and everybody gets a participation trophy. Careful what you wish for, because the law enforcement community writ large right now is dealing with that. Because of the demonization of cops, we now are having to lower standards. Um, You know, people coming in aren't meeting the fitness requirements. People coming in aren't meeting the educational requirements. And people coming in certainly aren't meeting the... Um, the standards of morality and the standards of ethics and the standards of, you know, you know, working towards a, a, a higher goal, not just treating this as a job, but treating it as a profession. Now, I say that and I'm not smearing everybody. There are good kids, young men, young women that are still drawn to the profession. God bless them. But um, actions have consequences. Uh, elections have consequences. And we're seeing that right now in the FBI and in law enforcement writ large. And, um, you know, I, I think we always over course correct, right? The pendulum swings one way or the other. And when it swings too far in one direction, we tend to course correct with a too far swing in the other direction. And I'm waiting. It's never going to reach that mythical center point where we all want it to be because we all operate between the 10 yard lines. The vast majority of people in this country operate between the 10-yard lines. We're not extremists on either ends. But until that course correction happens, Chris, I fear for our law enforcement profession because, as you and I both well know, they are the thin blue line that stand between us and evil. I I couldn't agree more, Jim. That's why uh, we wanted to have somebody like you on the air here 
it and I hope you keep speaking out. You've got a prominent voice uh, among the retirees. I know that there are some out there that that just that just don't like to hear uh, candid conversation. They want to hear what's going on in that echo chamber. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those uh, those individuals tend to have the ear of the people on the seventh floor. We've got you and I have people that we know inside the FBI that uh, were more advocates for themselves or advocates for the seventh floor of the J. Edgar Hoover building where the executive management was rather than the rank and file of the agents and the strict Amen. adherence to the Constitution. That's that's the one thing that I think has been lost uh, is is trying to get uh, the, the younger people to understand how significant our Constitution is and our constitutional republic. And what was it, Benjamin Franklin? Is Was it Benjamin Franklin that said it's a republic if we can keep it? Yeah, I think that's been uh, either him or Winston Churchill, I know, or maybe Winston Churchill famously said, you know, those in a democracy deserve the elected leadership they get. So, yeah, I think it's it's both plays off of both those things, Chris, and you're you're absolutely right. I appreciate what you're doing. I love our engagements. You're just as passionate when you're just texting to a couple of buddies as you are on the air and you are when you write about things. Keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing the same thing, too. No one's going to silence us. We've got to keep kind of beating the drum and make sure that this organization and this agency that we loved and served um, remains the paragon of virtue for, for, for law enforcement. And that is what it is, and, uh, and, and I hope it stays that way. Well, Jim, I appreciate you taking time today. Uh, I consider you a great friend. Looking forward to when we all get together. I think we've all planned on getting together in Birmingham, Alabama for that beer. Uh, I think that's the, the, the closest place for at least two of the four people in our little chat group. Uh, and, and I definitely look forward to seeing you there. Thank you again. Keep doing what you're doing. And we will be looking for you on TV. And as you just, you're, you're a great American, Jim, and I'm proud to know you. Brother, I appreciate it. Far too high praise. And when we go to Birmingham, which is where my family started in this country in 1905, the Sicilians that uh, came to Ellis Island and ended up in the steel mills down in Birmingham, we're going to go to a great bar restaurant called Good People. And I look forward to seeing you guys. Thank you again, Jim. I truly appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Welcome back to the Kim Wade Show. This is Chris Hinkle, your radio G-man, not the radio strongman. I've uh, been honored to be here in sitting in the Kim Wade chair. And we've got a caller calling in on the Complete Exteriors Roofing and Gutters line, CompleteExteriorsMS.com. I understand this is Mobile Bob. I've heard you a number of times on the Kim Wade Show. Look forward to speaking with you. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Uh, yeah, the guests was uh, definitely great and, uh, it's, and definitely interesting. Uh, and you guys hit on a lot of uh, you got a good points, and it was. Um, I guess it's just so unfortunate what the FBI has turned into, and a lot of people like us conservatives who were strong supporters of institutes like the FBI and police force, we soured greatly on the FBI. I mean, it's. I don't think the, the FBI to, to a lot of us is point of no return. I will never trust them again. Uh, I can't say negative. I can just never say never. But, you know, you guys are mentioning what can the FBI do? Uh, they've done so much over the last, especially since Trump, President Trump came down the escalator, to reveal themselves to be an institution that you guys are just out of control and you have too much power. This, the selective enforcement is what's getting us to a lot of conservatives, especially. 
I mean, they're virtually doing no enforcement of the law against liberals. And if conservatives sneeze the wrong way, they're throwing the book at them and want to put us under the jail. And it's, I mean, it's just like you all, you were saying what you even guess were saying. The bias has just been glaring. It's not just light, it's glaring. And you're, you're too absolutely right about James Coleman and his unprofessionalism. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, that's what we all associate with the FBI, the guys wearing the suits, the ultimate respect and authority. Well, they've lost that, and I, I can't see how they get it back. It's, it's well, one thing, they're not going to get it back until they do a whole total house cleaning. So that happens, they don't have a chance. What would you what would you consider what would you what would you consider a whole house cleaning? Uh entire FBI shut down, uh all of the executive management gone with new leadership coming in. What how would you fix the FBI? I I I I wouldn't, honestly. I would shut it down entirely. I don't think it can be fixed with even with a house cleaning. The institution the Washington air, the air in Washington DC just is so corrosive and corrupt. If, if most any institution stays there, it's going to get wholly corrupt and politicized. I don't see how the FBI ever gets unpoliticized. I think we go back with our local law enforcement. I understand what you all talking about. Even across state lines and enforce you know, certain federal laws. But I think you're going to have to just go with cooperation among the states. Okay, in Florida, you, Alabama, you, you point to, you say, okay, Alabama, your law needs to extradite this criminal back to us. Or and or or handle whatever in your own state. It's because the FBI is, it was corrupt quite a bit under J. Edgar Hoover, and it was a tolerable. Day, I guess somewhat tolerable. He was he just had some moments too, but now it's intolerable and it's just showing itself not to be worth keeping. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm lumping it with the Department of Education and other departments of the federal government. That shouldn't be just should be shut down. Well, if, if if you shut it down, here's here's the problem I have with that. And I, I do agree there needs to be some reform. And, and I'm probably more in the lines of what uh, my buddy Jim and I were talking about, which is getting back to the basics of the things that I came into the FBI on. We have these tenants, these uh, core values that we've had in the FBI, and I think they've been diluted uh, here in the past few years. And I think if we get back to strict adherence to the law, I served under four FBI directors during my time. And, yes, there is a dramatic difference uh, between the character and integrity of Louis Free and the character and integrity of a Jim Comey or even a Chris Ray. Uh, I have met all four directors. I've uh, I've spent time with them and discussed things with them. I, I, I can tell you that I don't think shutting the entire FBI down would work. Uh, you're just going to basically break those off and put them into other agencies. I think if you get back to the core values of what they do, it is going to take some time to get back that trust uh, with some of the things that uh, that have been done that have caused people to lose that trust. But I think you, you, you start by trying to uh, regain that respect and putting forth efforts to do that. You get back to speaking specifically about the law. I think one of the things I would recommend to Christopher Ray is uh, recognizing that the Congress has oversight. They have oversight responsibility. Uh, they are in charge of your funding. And when they ask for something, you better give it to them. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit about this FD 1023 uh, situation that 
that they found themselves in. So I, I, I don't want to see that spill over to the rank-and-file agents. I still know a number of the agents uh, that are in the organization that go to work, that do the job, that work really, really hard. I do think that there has been some impediments from some of the individuals up in in the D.C. area. And one of the things that, that was able to do a course correction when Louis Free came on board was he started cleaning out some of that management from headquarters and sending them back out to the field and letting the people on the ground run those cases. I think if we got back to something like that with uh, pulling away from what Robert Mueller started with running cases from D.C. and allowing the field offices not to be independent, but they have the, the closest contact with the people in the community and they know what their territory is, that what their local uh, requirements are. Uh, but I, I appreciate it, uh, Bob, from call, calling in. I believe we've got uh, – now, Bob, I hate to okay. let you go. We've got a couple other callers coming in. You can call back later in the show, and we can chat some more, uh, listen, okay. to, listen to what I have to say, and I appreciate it. Keep calling in. And now we've got Jerry on the line. Jerry, what's going on, and welcome to the Kim Wade Show. Thank you, sir. Uh, I uh, heard you on the radio and uh, was listening in. You uh, proposed a question, so I'd, uh, I'd like to give my answer. Uh, hey, you're uh, a citizen. Your answer is as important as everybody else's. Well, uh, I mean, according to uh, according to most people uh, nowadays in, in the media, no, it's not. But either way, so you ask the question, how do you fix it? Well, first of all, you can't. Okay, you can repair it, but you can't fix it. Um, but the the first place you start is, like you said, you're going to need new management from the inside out at the FBI. You do not shut the FBI down. You can't. It's too big. It's a hydro. You just, like you said, it's going to splinter. It's going to become something else. But at the end of the day, I mean, you guys were founded as a collection agency. You collect information. What you do with it depends on who pulls your strings. So as long as the string pullers are still corrupt, the FBI will still be corrupt. The only way you can even start to earn back respect from people like myself and Mobile Bob is you put Comey and Ray in prison immediately. And then you treat them just like we get treated. You say, okay, well, you're in prison, so now you have to prove you're innocent before we let you out. See, as how you want to play the guilty until innocence, we'll let you suffer the consequences of guilt until innocence. So you start there with the FBI. But as far as the repair, the only way to repair it is for you guys, if you're still in there or whoever you know is still in there, for them, they, whoever you want to call, to not make a single move. Not a single move. You don't start an investigation. You don't close an investigation. You don't collect facts. You don't do anything unless you have eyes on Unless you or some other agent personally touches something and personally signs their name to it and is personally accountable and can be held accountable through prosecution up to and including incarceration, then no one with any sense like myself or the general voting public is going to trust you guys with anything more than a potato gun. So... When you say fix it, you're never going to fix it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, if, if you were to strike your wife, okay, she might not leave you, but I guarantee you will never fix that. You don't unring that bell. So this garbage that's happened over the last five years, it will never get fixed. Well, I, I appreciate your opinion on that. And by fix, I think we're kind of on the same paper, I, uh, page. I think that, uh, you know, repairing is is probably more the appropriate term i do agree with there i mean I, I think you might be right about that uh what i would like to see is just kind of get back to following the rules and regulations they have set forth i've put my pen to paper uh in retirement on such things i brought up that in an article i wrote for 
Homeland Security Today, dealing with the parents before school boards and how that was a deviation from the policies actually set forth by the Department of Justice. But thank you so much for calling in. I've got uh, we don't have anybody. Okay, sorry, we lost the other lost Steve off the air. Steve, I encourage you to call back. Well, all right, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, I'm going to get a little bit of water. You can call in on the Complete Exteriors Roofing and Gutters hotline here, completeexteriorsms.com. Call us at 601-879-002 or call Eddie at Complete Exteriors at 601-326-2755. This is Chris Hinkle sitting in for Kim Wade on the Kim Wade Show. Kim Wade Show here on WYAB. Uh, I am Chris Hinkle. I'm not Radio Strongman. I am Radio G-Man. And we do have an individual on the line on the Complete Exteriors, Roofing, and Gutters call-in line. Chris, go ahead. Yes, sir. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. I got one quick question. I find this kind of, well, not quick, but uh, observation. I find this kind of outrunning that some people's calling me into saying they need to FBI to be shut down. Well, just a few years ago, they were talking about how to lift this and Liberals and Democrats are crazy for saying reform. Or uh, some say they were saying defund the police, but it was just reform the police for police brutality. I think that's kind of ironic right about now, since they're doing an investigation about Trump and, and, and the others. Now they got a problem with it. What was that problem when when people were complaining about them years ago? I mean, you go all the way back to civil rights deals and seeing everybody out doing stuff back then. They didn't have no problem with it when it was against against the leftists, uh, against other people. But now it's about them. Now they want to shut it down, defund the FBI. Does that make any sense? It is. It, I, I think it is ironic. Uh, I think you described that aptly. Uh, you know, the way that I look at it, 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 I agree with what my buddy Jim was saying. There needs to be a, a, a culture shift back to strict adherence to the law, to get back to the foundation, uh, to the core values that the FBI was founded on. And I think once you do that and you start changing that character, I think shutting the whole thing down creates such chaos of trying to uh, maneuver things. Now, there are portions of the government, I will tell you, that I think should be shut down, that I do think that those uh, those entities, their their functions could be given back to the states. Department of Education would be one. Uh, there, there's yeah, no... I mean, I mean, I mean, you can go back to the CIA days, you know, when they were doing what they were doing, mm-hmm. forming their little, funding their little war with narcotics in the streets of America and stuff like that. But you no, know, I just like I say, I just find that kind of ironic. And you no, know, and what's sad about it? Not in place like Jasper is a bad name. We did not say we want to defund the police. Yes, we want more police in Jasper. But somehow, some reason, we just can't get it. I don't know was the the council's not okay in the mind to give them a pay raise. But I mean, they can't compete with the state of Mississippi with the CPD down now, paying four to five to fifty grand. I mean, hey, I mean, who are you ready to work for? JPD or CPD? You know I, what I'm saying? So I, I think you, I think you may be right, and I, I agree. I, if you talk to the people in the neighborhoods, they want more police presence there. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the uh, second hour about some some tips that I would give uh, to individuals on how to affect change. Some things that I've done since I've retired from the FBI where I'm not encumbered by the Hatch Act 
and have been able to approach some of my elected representatives to to get them to listen to me. Oh, well, I got another question. How many FBI agents you have in Mississippi? I mean, uh, there, there's probably not as not as many as you would think, and and more than uh, than most people would believe. I, that information, even though that I'm I'm not part not in in the FBI anymore, I'm a retired FBI agent. Uh, I, I don't want to provide the information with the specific numbers that are out there. I, I can tell you nationwide there's about 15,000 FBI agents. Now, as far as the numbers that are in Mississippi, you can call the, the office there and, and speak with them, but I don't want to speak on their behalf. All right, we're going to go to break right now. If you want to call in like some of these uh, great callers here, you can call in on the Complete Exteriors call-in line at 879 if you're going to contact Complete Exteriors, make sure you ask for Eddie at 601-326-2755. I'm Chris Hinkle, in for Kim Wade on WYAB. All right. This is Chris Hinkle, your Radio G-Man. I am on the air here for Radio Strongman Kim Wade, who has taken some much-needed time off to rest and recuperate before he comes back to doing battle with individuals to protect the citizens of Jackson, Mississippi. All right, we're going to change topics a little bit now from the FBI. We'll get back to that shortly. Uh, I want to welcome Jane Corey. Now, Jane is a resident of Madison, Mississippi, and she's a representative of a homeowners association in the Beltaire subdivision of Madison, Mississippi. If any of you have been following the news, there was a, a really uh, unfortunate chain of events that has occurred recently in Madison, dealing with the Madison County Board of Supervisors, where they have voted to rezone a rural area in Madison County to a commercial area, and they're doing so against the will of the people. Jane, welcome to the Kim Wade Show. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, doing fantastic. So can you can you walk us through what's going on? I, I, I think the first, uh, first portion of this occurred back in February at the Planning and Zoning Commission. Can you talk about what's going on and then kind of walk us through uh, where we've been and where we're at right now? Sure, sure. Um, back in February, um, it came to several of our attention. I'm not really sure even how we were notified. Um, due to the rules and regulations, you you have to put the notice and the sign up, but it's only within uh, so many hundred well, we'll feet. Well, start, start first. Tell us where this is located. Uh, what, okay, what, what area of land are we talking about? So when you're driving along Bozeman, this is going to be at the intersection of the what will be the new road over Union Parkway, the extension of Reunion Parkway across Bozeman Road that will ultimately go across the interstate and have interchanges off and on the interstate. And what, what um, does that area look like right now? What's around it and uh, what, uh, what was it previously zoned for? Um, currently, it is uh, SU-1. It's being used for agricultural purposes. When you drive along that area, um, within, say, a third of a mile, give or take both ends, um, you're going to see nothing but churches, uh, a school. Um, I believe there's a, a, a nursing home-type rehab center. So either that or you basically have an open field that's being farmed. 
And you also have a residential property there in the Beltaire subdivision, Cherry Hill Plantation subdivision, Ingleside Reserve, and Devereaux. That's correct. That's correct. And what what is what is the what is going on with the Madison County Board of Supervisors, and what what are they they proposing to do to change the character of this area? Um, well, certainly, I, I would presume there are some uh, you know tax base incentives anytime you develop property and convert it to commercial. Uh, it certainly produces more revenue for a county or a city, um, but. You know, our concern has been and always, I feel like from a concerned citizen standpoint, is what happens when you go from one extreme to the other extreme on your zoning? Uh, what type of control mechanisms you have in place? Because once that zoning is allowed, it's a lot more difficult. Um, some of the supervisors I know have commented that we still have barriers like site development um, to, to allow some control, but that's really not true. Um, you know that once that zoning vote occurs there's a lot less likelihood that you you can maintain control um there's a big difference between zoning and site development um and site planning so i feel like the citizens are more concerned that we lose the ability to see what can be put in with thoughtful careful zoning regulations versus a very open broad um lack of control that that I feel like um, occurs when we go from an SU1 to a C2. So so let me me, me paint a picture here and you tell me if I get anything wrong because I I wasn't present. In full disclosure, I live in Cherry Hill Plantation off Bozeman Road. And any of you that have been in that Madison area, it's peaceful. It's tranquil. Uh, most of the people, at least all the ones that I've spoken to that have moved out there, it's because it has, you have large uh, acreage, uh, you have a large house, it's well-kept, uh, the crime rate is is very low in that area. But as you drive along Bozeman Road, you're either seeing homes, a church, a, a school for disabled children, uh, the Magnolia Speech School, or you see residential property of people just wanting to live their lives. And it's my understanding that back in February, before the Planning and Zoning Commission, the uh, the attorney representing the Madison County uh, Madison County Board of Supervisors, Mike Espy, uh, that he mentioned something about exchange of land in uh, in support that the uh, the board would push forward with rezoning this from SU one, which would leave it kind of as is with a, a more tranquil rural type area to putting commercial properties, which uh, you mentioned Zone C2, and C2 allows for things like truck stops, tattoo parlors, bowling alleys. I've even seen a plan for storage buildings there. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that was a concern and I, how that came to, uh, to be even a bigger concern during the subsequent Board of Supervisors meeting back in May, the statements that Mike Espy had made before that board? Um, well, certainly I was present for, for the February meeting and the May meeting and then in June. In February, um, there was discussion prior to uh, the actual meeting and after the meeting where there were comments made certainly about um, the land donation and the use. Um, you know, as far as anything beyond that, I, I don't 
I don't know. I simply know that um, it, the character is, is a dramatic change in the zoning for what the board has just recently passed, and, and that's where my concern comes in. Um, you know, we are where we are now, and we've got to figure out a way if it has to go into the court system to, to stop that. Um, and, and hopefully uh, everybody has gone through the channels and the proper channels to, to get everything uh, through the Planning and Zoning Commission, through the Board of Supervisors, um, but they really left us with no, no other opportunity but to file an appeal, um, which we do plan to do. So, um, you know, I, my hope is that when we get into the court system, everything that's laid before them, whatever's out there, uh, will be pretty clear and concise and an ability for that zoning to be uh, changed, that, that vote to be changed. Um, and I think that's what most of the constituents in that area want. Um, and it's just very disheartening that uh, an application that was put in in February for our 350-plus acre parcel uh, subject property um, went through something what I perceive as a 90-day, you know, 100-day max period um, without a little more uh, concern for the aesthetics and the changing of the area when what I think is legally not allowed. Yeah, now I'll, I'll actually read from you from the uh, from the minutes of the Planning and Zoning Commission. I, I downloaded the copy that the uh, the news made available. So before that Planning and Zoning Commission, and I'm reading directly from those minutes, said, Mr. Espy advised that Richard Skinner and the Mini J Bozeman Limited Family Partnership uh, had graciously worked with Madison County on an agreement for the donation of right of way property to Madison County in an order that Madison County could have clear title to that property to advance the project with MDOT. Mr. Espy confirmed that the Madison County, uh, at Madison County had agreed to assist in the rezoning of subject property in order for the applicant to make commercial use of this property and provided applicant with information on the planned roadway and ramps that would traverse his property. Now, listening to the comments from uh, Board of Supervisor Trey Baxter, the uh, that's not supposed to be the way that things happen. You you can't go out and negotiate uh, that. Hey, you give us this land and we'll work to help you rezone it. That that might uh, cause some problems in court. And I thought it was uh, very telling the response from the board president, Mr. Gerald Steen, when he stated, "Well, I guess we'll see you in court." That's uh, it's kind of cavalier to be using the taxpayer funds to defend uh, the decision of three out of five board members to rezone this land against the direct wishes of the constituents that actually live adjacent to that land. And for those of you out there listening and are trying to make sense of what we're talking about, you probably love going to Sam's, you like going to Walmart, and you like shopping at Costco. And I know Mr. Steen brought up Costco. Do you want it across the street right outside your neighborhood? Do you think that's going to help your property values? Do you think that that might lend to a potential uh, rise in a criminal element coming in there from having that type of commercial property? That's exactly the type of thing that we're looking at with a C2, which is why the city of Madison, who is who has in their plans to uh, eventually annex that portion of land, that 350 acres, uh, and you understand why citizens like Jane here 
uh, along with me and other residents in these in these neighborhoods are so against this. We're not we're not against commercial development for this for the Bozeman family or, or Mr. Skinner. We just don't want it right up abutted next to our neighborhoods. Does that does that sound about right, Jane? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, once once the zoning is there, um, you know, a developer can tell you all day long what their initial plan is, but until that that uh, uh, building is built, um, you know, there, there's a lot that goes on that that we lose control of, and um, a lot of promises are always made, but what comes to fruition is usually not what it started out to be, and, and that's the concern is we've unfortunately, you know, uh, have to go through this process to try to regain some ability to hopefully for the betterment of Madison County. Um, you know, you look north of Bozeman, you look south of Bozeman, there's lots of commercial development. And I, I'm very concerned when I see shopping centers nearby that aren't full to capacity, have trouble renting space, and yet we're going to go build some more brick and mortar. Um, when certainly after COVID, brick and mortar has is not um, – as abundant or um, even trying to find employees to work in restaurants and work in things. So what I would really hate to see is an entire aesthetic um, of an area change and have no control or for the betterment and look back in five to ten years and we've totally destroyed and eroded the character of an area that was a vibrant community, um, um, high property value area, um, just for being short-sighted for what a few may see as um, as necessary. Yeah, it was kind of interesting that those three board members, uh, Steen, Banks, and Griffin, kept citing the change in character in the area. And when you try to get them for specifics, they're talking about things that are three, four, five miles away uh, that have no bearing whatsoever. And I, I know several times that Mr. Steen kept talking about, well, you know, if you haven't seen the change in character along Bozeman Road, I don't know what you're looking at. Well, well I've been by looking at it. character, I, if he says traffic, I would I would concede that to him. But other than than more traffic count on the road, does not necessarily necessitate that the aesthetics and the overall character have changed. And and we're the, actually the ones who live there, if I'm not mistaken. He said he lives in Ridgeland. Um, and and the other two that voted for it certainly don't live in that area either. Well, Jane, we're going to have to cut it short there. Uh, I'm going to keep fighting right along with you. And uh, that's you know, right. I, know, I appreciate. I know time. Mayor Mayor Mary has uh, has our back on there. If uh, if people want to find out more information about it, I would go to the Madison County Board of Supervisors site. Look at those planning and zoning minutes. Go watch the video uh, of this last Board of Supervisors meeting, and you come away and you tell me that. Uh, whether or not you think the Board of Supervisors supports the citizens in that community. Thank you again, Jane, for calling in. And uh, we're going to take a break here on the Kim Wade Show. This is Chris Hinkle in for Kim Wade on WYAB. All right. Welcome back to the Kim Wade Show. This is Chris Hinkle, your radio G-man, in for Kim Wade. And we've got a caller calling in, Debbie, on the Complete Exteriors call-in line. Debbie, what would you like to talk about? Hello? Hi. Hi. (laughs) Hey. Um, I don't live in, in your district. I do live in Madison County. I live in Paul Griffin's district. And I just want to make a point to all of the people of Madison County, about this next election that's coming up. The county supervisors have gone in and they have really redistricted the whole county to try to ensure that the powers that be that are in that are in power stay elected. 
whether that be the county supervisors as well as the election commissioners. This next election is going to be a large determination for Madison County as to how they get money and how the rest of the money for the next four years are spent. And it's very, very important that people get out and vote for different people. And the reason Gerald Steen can be so cavalier with his comment is because he does not have an opponent. He's running unopposed. Nobody can do anything with him at this point because he, Griffin, and Banks always, always vote together. They have a coalition. I'm going to stop short of what I really want to say about those three, but they pretty much control the Madison County money. And they're also under indictment for some money that's come up missing. I'm pretty sure there's some there's some money that's missing that they're looking into with some of them too. And as well as city of Canton has their own problems, but you know, there's three or four of them in with Rudy Warnock that have already pled guilty and are, will be sentenced eventually once Rudy Warnock has to go to court. So bottom line, I, all I'm saying to the people of Madison County, get out and vote Stay conservative. Vote the way you know you need to vote to keep conservative or to put conservative people back in office because the powers that be have gotten out and manipulated the line to continue this power play that Griffin, Banks, and Geraldine have. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for calling in, and I'll say some of the things that that you probably are reluctant to say. Uh, I've, I've got uh, a, a person, a, a guest that's going to uh, we're going to cut to here in just a moment. But here's the thing that I took away from that board of supervisors meeting: it's very telling that those three supervisors that you mentioned, Steen, Banks, and Griffin, that have no have zero connection to that property on Bozeman Road are voting in lockstep against the wishes of the citizens that actually live on Bozeman Road. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit uh, about representation and, and, and how to deal with that. But I would encourage people, get in touch with your board of supervisors. Challenge these individuals when you see them in person. And by challenge, I don't mean get up in their face. I mean talk to them, ask them civil and cogent questions. If you can't approach your representative and ask them a question and have them answer, if you're both being civil and cogent and polite, then you don't have a representative. Speaking of representatives, i got a representative of my family on the line. This is my brother-in-law, Chris Allen. He is a defense attorney over in the great state of Alabama. And Chris and I have had a number of colorful and uh, conversations dealing with the law. And uh, I want to say a belated happy birthday because Chris just uh, made it past the, the uh, half-century mark here recently. So we celebrated his birthday this past weekend. How are you doing, Brother Chris? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm uh, doing doing great, having fun here, loving the fact that Kim Wade has given me this opportunity. Uh, well, let's get right into it. You and I have had some uh, had some discussions about the law. I trust your judgment and, and knowledge on it. Uh, I think we both agree that neither one of us are experts on the Constitution, but we can have civil and cogent debates on it. 
Uh, let, let's jump right into it. We were talking about the FBI earlier with my good friend Jim Galliano, and uh, we've got this situation. I believe it's sort of getting resolved right now from what I'm seeing in, in the news where the FBI director in uh, testimony before Congress, and he has also been subpoenaed to provide some information that the Congress is looking for. And and I'll note, Congress has direct oversight of the FBI. Uh, what can you tell us, you know, your thoughts and opinions about whether or not the, the FBI director is in a position that he can tell Congress, um, I'll... I'll accommodate you, but according to how I want to accommodate you, or I'll just directly not give you that information because it's a, quote, ongoing investigation. Well, I believe the situation, and I'm I'm kind of at a disadvantage because I've been so busy this week. I haven't been able to keep up with the news as, as much as usual. Um. That being said, I believe it's a committee that's doing the investigation um, related to whistleblower. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so we, we have this document. It's an FD-1023, and it, it's a document where what you would call FBI informants. There, there are different names on the inside of the FBI form. We'll just say for the, the sake of the audience, it's, it's a document uh, documenting information provided by an informant, and uh, whistleblowers have made the uh, the U.S. Congress aware of the existence of this document and Congress and their oversight, uh, legislative oversight responsibility and in, in determining whether or not the, the FBI is fulfilling its obligations according to the taxpayers, uh, has oversight over that and has requested a copy of this document. And it's uh, in, until recently, I believe the FBI has been rebuffing that. I did hear today that they did drop the uh, the plan to hold a contempt vote against the director of the FBI uh, for being in contempt of Congress for not providing that information. Now, what what is your understanding of the responsibilities uh, given oversight that an agency like the FBI has? Their responsibility that when Congress asks for something, uh, are they allowed to say no? Well, um, as you and I discussed previously, um, Congress is authorized to do investigations um, regarding almost any uh, area of of the country. Um, They don't have specific oversight powers given um, under the Constitution. Uh, because, you know, I went back and, and reread the Constitution specifically looking for it, knowing that we were going to discuss this today. But they have broad authority to uh, conduct uh, these investigations because Congress holds all legislative power. It and, specifically says that in the Constitution, doesn't it? Yeah. It's it's an implied power, but now under their investigative authority, they have some uh, statutory uh, authority as well. And uh, one of those things is to subpoena witnesses and uh, ask them to bring records with them. We we call that a subpoena ducis tecum. Bring the thing. 
so whatever you're asking for, they've got to bring it with them. And to uh, coerce them to do that properly, they have the authority to put somebody in jail or fine them. And that certainly extends to uh, members of the executive branch. So you're saying that uh, if someone is held as refuses to honor that that subpoena, that uh, and it it was my understanding that the Congress, uh, House of Representatives, could actually direct the Sergeant at Arms to take that individual into custody. Is that true? Technically, yes. There's uh, there's two different ways for for somebody to be held in contempt of Congress. Um, one is sort of a direct uh, situation like what you're talking about Um, it would be the committee would basically issue a citation to the person saying that they've got to appear and answer for these contempt charges in front of the entire body so this works for the house or the senate and then the entire body would vote as to whether that person was in contempt or not in contempt um that's that's there by statute now uh rather than just being implied it's uh title two of the u.s code i believe it's section 192 i knew i could count on my brother-in-law the constitutional expert to to quote chapter and verse uh, so I, I think this is this is giving a good understanding of the listeners of, of what the powers of Congress are. And unfortunately, I, I don't just based on my conversations with most of the kids in school today, I, I don't know if civics is something that is, uh, is strenuously taught uh, so that they have an understanding of, of the the different branches of government, what their actual powers are, what their you know, according to Article One, Article Two, and Article Three, what they're they're actually able to do. Uh, on another note, let's 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 talk real quick. Uh, and this, and I hate to throw this one in here because I I didn't have it in our, uh, our 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 previous conversation. Can you can you hold on during the break? And I want to talk to you a little bit about executive orders. Yeah, sure. All right, we're going to take a break here on WYAB. All right. Welcome back to WYAB, the Kim Wade Show. The Radio Strongman has taken a, a break today to rest and recuperate. This is Chris Hinkle, your Radio G-Man, retired FBI agent, citizen of Madison, and just enjoying everyday life. On the line, we've got my brother-in-law, Chris Allen, Esquire. He is a defense attorney over in Alabama. And one of the things that he and I had talked about recently is this thing called 18 U.S.C. 1001. Now, for those in uh, federal law enforcement, they can rattle this off the top of their head. But it's basically a uh, statute that, uh, in in the course of my duties with the FBI, it is a violation to provide false testimony or information to an FBI agent during the course of investigation. But that also extends to uh, members of Congress in testimony before committees. So, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about how this 18 U- what 18 U.S.C. 1001 is and uh, who does it apply to? Chris, are you there? Yeah, hey. Oh, go ahead. Are you there? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay. First off, I want to correct one thing. I, I got pigeonholed. <laughs> 
um, into being a defense attorney. I'm also a prosecutor. Oh, that's right. And you're also a judge. Uh, I am also a part-time judge. Good. So I don't just wear one hat. (laughs) Wear multiple hats. I've seen you in multiple hats. Sometimes I'm a good guy. Sometimes I'm a bad guy. All right. Well, let's talk about 18 U.S.C. 1001. Uh, tell for to educate our audience. Tell us what 18 U.S.C. 1001 is, who it applies to, and and uh, what are the repercussions for violating it. And I've got it in front of me. This this is applicable to um, federal agencies. So this isn't what would apply to uh, somebody that's being questioned by their local police department. Um, this applies to uh, the executive, legislative, or judicial branch of the government of the United States um, if they knowingly or willfully uh, falsify or conceal uh, any material fact or make any materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statements, um, they're guilty of a misdemeanor. Actually, it's it is not a misdemeanor. Um, they can be fined and imprisoned up to five years. Wow. Uh, it does apply uh, specifically to any investigation or review conducted pursuant to the authority of any committee, subcommittee, or commission of Congress. So it applies the same to the House and the Senate as well. That So that's an, another statute that when you see individuals, the reason that they raise their hand and swear that testimony. Now, in the course of my career, it it, uh, it you didn't even have to be sworn. I didn't have to ask you to raise your hand and swear that the information you're going to provide to me is a true and accurate representation of the facts as you know it. I just start asking you questions, and if you directly lie to me, you could be found in violation of, a, of 1001. Uh, is that the same way that it works for members of Congress? Can you go up on the street and provide false information to a representative and be in, in violation of 1001? I would go a little bit further. Um, this covers anybody concealing or covering up something by, by a trick, a scheme, or a device. If it's a material fact in the investigation and they're covering it up, uh, that goes in a foul of this uh, this section wow very uh very powerful statute uh i gotta tell you with uh my time in the fbi typically the thousand one violation was just uh, it was something that if that's the only thing you had to hang your hat on uh you're you know it wasn't exactly champion or wasn't exactly celebrated my fellow agents if that's the only thing that uh that someone violated during the course of your investigation that that is something that's added in there uh, well, kind of like getting Al Capone on tax evasion. Well, that there, there's always always ways to to take care to protect the the citizens. Uh, well, Chris, I'm going to have to cut it short now. I've got a couple of topics that I wanted to cover. I definitely want to have you back on, and and we can get back and forth with some of the things that you and I have talked about uh, jokingly. Where you know we've gone back and forth when you put your defense attorney hat on. When I've talked about how I conducted investigations and interviews and interrogations, I think that would be something that the, the people would enjoy as they, they watch the two of us go back and forth on that. But, uh, again, I appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with us today, and I look forward to seeing you the next time I get into town. 
appreciate you having me on. I'd like to leave everybody with a parting tip. Go ahead. Uh, some advice is never talk I, to the police. <laughs> that is true. He says that uh, says that often. Nothing frustrates a defense attorney more than if they talk to the police. And uh, when we when Chris and I talk again on air, I uh, will go back and forth in that conversation, and I'll give my side of the story as well. Thanks again for calling, Chris, and uh, give my sister a kiss for me. I'll be appreciate you, Chris. Right. Thanks. Okay, I wanted to take a couple of minutes here to uh, to talk about some things that are on my mind. Uh, can we talk? Can I, can I be candid? Uh, producer Cliff sitting across from me is, is candor allowed at WYB? He gave me the thumbs up. I can be candid on, uh, on WYB. So I appreciate that. So what can, what can we do to correct some of these problems? We, we see some of the problems going on with, uh, the executive management of the FBI We've got your representatives out there not not really uh, listening to what the citizens want to hear. I'm going to give you some advice. Start local. Deal with your local representatives. Attend your school board meetings. Don't just be apathetic and uh, not study the issues. When it comes time to vote, know who you're voting for and where they stand because they do swear an oath to that same Constitution from the president all the way down to what I would say the dog catcher. They swear an oath to that same Constitution, and you have to hold them accountable for it. And as I've mentioned uh, to friends of mine, and I think I said it earlier here on the air, you should be able to approach your representatives, especially your local ones. Now, do I think that Joe Biden's going to listen to me? Do I think that, uh, you know, the vice president, Kamala Harris, is going to listen to me? No, they're, they're not. I'm just, you know, some retired guy down in Mississippi. But I should be able to approach my direct line representatives, and that would be my representative in the House of Representatives, my senators in this state, the governor, local state house representative and senator, school board, and board of supervisors. If you can't walk up to those individuals, if you bump into your representative, whether they're on the board of supervisors, the school board, or they're in the uh, state house or state senate, and you can't ask them questions and engage them in conversation on things that are important to you that affect your daily life, if they walk away. If they say, contact my office and set up an appointment, I would argue you don't have a representative. The word rep, uh, the word leader, I, I hear that thrown out a lot too with people that talk about, well, you know, leader of the free world, or we need a leader here, or leader that. We need leaders in government. Go back and look at the Constitution. The word leader doesn't appear in the Constitution at all. The word representative does a number of times. Get yourself educated on these issues. I, I do these things, uh, and I've talked about my story about how I got here of, of speaking here on this radio show. It started with just a conversation at a school board. And the next thing I know, I didn't realize how many people out there shared some of the same values that I had that were afraid to speak up. And really, all it takes for evil to prosper is for good men and women to stand by and do nothing. Call people out on things. Ask the follow-up questions. 
I get frustrated when I hear people conduct interviews and they don't ask the follow-up question about something that's said. I watched a congressman be interviewed on a, another radio show and he had just come back from the border and they were making fun of Secretary Mayorkas. I'm all for that. I, I don't think the guy's been doing his job. And they were talking about how Joe Biden has uh, you know, opened the border up and is not protecting our country because a country without borders is not a country. But the next question wasn't asked. What are you going to do about it? That's a, that's a question that needs to be asked. I was struck recently, too. I understand that Mike Pence, and, and I, I'll get a little bit into some presidential politics here. I, I kind of try to stay local and build a solid foundation of conservative uh, representation and, and working up. But I noticed uh, Mike Pence, I think he's a fine man. He was being interviewed on one of the nationally syndicated radio shows today. And I was struck by something that he said. He said, I am 100% pro-life, unapologetically pro-life. I am too. I am 100% pro-life. But the next phrase out of his mouth caused me some concern. And it was, I would support a bill put forth by Senator Lindsey Graham that would set a nationwide standard for 15 weeks that up to the 15-week point, you can abort a child. Tell me how that comports with being 100% pro-life. To me, that sounds like you're pro-choice or you're pro-life with an asterisk, which I don't understand. There there can't be an asterisk. You're either pro-life or you're not. Now, you can be pro-choice. You can be for things like 15 weeks uh, for abortions. But you can't be for abortion and be 100% pro-life. That's one thing, one issue that I would take with former Vice President Pence. And who would have thought that Bill Clinton, former President Bill Clinton, would have a more reasonable take on abortion when he said it should be safe, legal, and rare? My gosh, he probably wouldn't even be welcomed in the Republican Party today. I've got some more tips for you from uh, retired FBI that uh, can help you out in your life. We'll talk about those after the break. This is the Kim Wade Show on WYAB. All right, we're going to land this plane here at WYAB on the Kim Wade Show. I want to thank Kim for the opportunity to come in and sit in this uh, chair behind this great microphone And what I wanted to do was leave you all with some information, some tips and tricks and things I've learned over my 25 years in law enforcement and my time in the military. I spent 13 years in the Air Force. I did serve during the first Gulf War. Uh, Things you can do to protect yourself. Let's talk protecting your loved ones uh, when traveling in a vehicle. So let's say you're driving home, you pull into your neighborhood, and There's a car behind you. Maybe they live in the neighborhood. Maybe it's just somebody you don't recognize. Here's a recommendation I would give for you, give you. If you don't recognize the individuals in your neighborhood, if you're not aware of your surroundings, and there's a car that has followed you into the neighborhood and is still behind you as you're approaching your residence, drive past your residence. Don't pull into your driveway. You don't want to give any indication of where you live in that neighborhood. Circle around if you have to. Pull out of the neighborhood and keep going. Now, that may sound highly, you know, paranoid, 
But I don't want to give any information to somebody that I don't know, like where I live. Now, they can probably figure that out through various means on the Internet of what my address and residence is. But if someone's been following you, let's say you just left the bank and you made a withdrawal and you've gotten into your car and you, you're driving home, the bad guy may follow you to your house. And bad things can happen from there. The other tip that I would give you is that wherever you park your vehicle, when you come out, and it only takes a couple of seconds to do this, walk around your vehicle. See if there's anything that looks a little different about it. Is there anything changed in, in the way that you remember the items that were left inside your car? Is there anything down on the ground that looks odd and out of place? If there is, don't get in the car. Next tip is once you get into the car, and this is what I would give to my loved ones, is as soon as you get into the car, lock the doors. Before you crank the car up, lock the doors. You're going to protect yourself. You're going to give yourself a couple of minutes, extra head start if someone comes up and tries to open that door. Just some, just some incidental tips. And the last thing that I would tell you is learn how to defend yourself and create space. Learn what to do to get somebody off of you and then get as much space between them as possible. Thanks again to Kim for the opportunity to come here on WYAB. I look forward to coming back in the future. This is Chris Hinkle, your radio G-man, in for the radio strongman. I want to thank Cliff, the producer across from me, for having me here. And I hope you all have a blessed and prosperous day.